the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Welcome to everyone tonight. Thank you for being with us here on this Thursday. If you're watching us from someplace online, we welcome you as a part of this service tonight as well. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. Praise God. I think, uh, I feel like I am starting something tonight that I may spend a couple of weeks on. We'll see. And uh, in all my years of growing up in the church, being a part of church, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody really teach or preach on this subject. I've heard it mentioned, and I'm sure when I tell you what it is, you've heard it mentioned too. In the singular and plural combined, you can find it 88 times in the Gospels. Some of those times, you will find it mentioned because of what this group or individual has said. Other times, it's mentioned because of a situation or circumstance that's taking place. And then more than likely, if I get to it tonight, you'll find it mentioned because they were being directly talked to. I believe with all of my heart, I preached it um, perhaps Sunday morning, I think it was. When you put seed in the ground, there is a good period of time, depending on what you've planted, that you see absolutely nothing. There is no evidence. There's nothing to show you that that seed you produced is doing anything at all. And yet, if you give it the right amount of time, evidence shows that the seed was healthy and that it was producing. And, and I really don't think I have to say this because I think there's evidence. You, you may not notice it, you may not be aware, but I, I don't know about every single week for the last little while, but I know that most weeks, the last several weeks, several months, people are getting the Holy Ghost, people are getting baptized. You may not have noticed it, you may not really have realized, but it's been happening. We haven't been in a drought. We, we, and, and so there, I think there are things that are indicators that God is doing something. But I also believe that we're, we're not quite to all that He's doing and all that He's going to do. And I feel like we are still... I think we're moving out of it, but we, we've, I don't know if you've noticed it, but it, to me, we've been in a bit of a kind of a plowing for a while. God's been doing some digging and some uprooting and some working on some things, and, and I think we're, I think we're transitioning out of that, but we're not out of it yet. 
And, and there are some things that I believe are extremely important for us to work on and let God work on so that when God does what He's doing and going to do, it's not done in vain. So, 88 times, either in the singular or the plural, you will see a Pharisee or the Pharisees addressed. Are y'all now all on the edge of your seat with anticipation of this great topic that we're about to delve into? 88 times. There's a couple of times in uh, Acts that it's mentioned. I believe it's mentioned a time or two in uh, the epistles. I think at least once in the epistles because I think Paul in one of the epistles identifies himself as having been a Pharisee. But just in the, just the Gospels, just the four Gospels, 88 times you will find Pharisee or Pharisees. The first mention that I see of it, the first mention, I believe, chronologically where Jesus mentions them and addresses them is found in Matthew 5, verse 17. He says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Those that think that We are no longer subject or influenced by what the Old Testament says. Need to dig into what that verse means. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no way, shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now here it is. I want you, I want you to watch. Most of the time, most of the time you find Pharisee or Pharisees mentioned in the gospel. It is not in any kind of a positive context. I've got it. Anticipate getting there this evening. Jesus gives them quite the dressing down. John calls them some pretty rough names. But I I want you to notice that in this verse, and again, to me, at least from what I find, this is in the first time they're mentioned, but this is the first place where Jesus makes some kind of specific reference to them in His words. And He says, I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. If I could say it to you this way and use a little bit of modern day terminology, in one sense, He gave them a little bit of props. Now before we get done tonight, and if we continue on beyond tonight, you'll probably forget all about this verse. (laughs) But in this verse, he said, "Unless unless your actions, unless your lifestyle, 
unless the way you're living exceeds them. You shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So in one hand, he's sort of giving them a little bit of credit, but in the big scheme of things, he is not condoning or endorsing them. Barnes' note says with regards to this verse, their righteousness consisted in outward observances of the ceremonial and traditional law. They offered sacrifices, fasted often, prayed much, were punctilious about ablutions and tithes and the ceremonies of religion. They, they were did all of these things. They were about all of these things. However, they neglected justice, truth, purity, and holiness of heart. The righteousness that Jesus required in His kingdom was purity, chastity, honesty, temperance, the fear of God, and the love of man. It is pure, eternal, reaching the motives and making the life holy. Now, I'm just going to take my time here tonight, and I may not get much past this. I don't think I have to tell anybody. I haven't noticed if there's any guests or first time. I haven't noticed any first time visitors unless you're hiding. I actually don't even see anybody that would be sort of a guest. Everybody I see here has been here many times. Most of you are a part of this church. I don't think I have to tell you what we believe. I'm sorry. What we believe as apostolics is not the norm in pretty much every way. Let's start from the very top. When it comes to what we believe with regards to the Godhead, we don't fit the norm. (laughs) We believe there's one God. That the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost are one, manifested in three different ways, but they're not three separate co-equal persons. So right from the get-go, we, 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 we start off totally different. And then, and, and, and it's not, un, I mean, there's a lot of folks that speak in tongues today. We are not, we're not the crazy people anymore, this certain small group that speaks in tongues. Basically, every, uh, the, the Catholics have had people that, ha, that speak in tongues. That have, so we're, we're not out of the norm for that. But what does separate us from most other parts of Christianity that believe in speaking in tongues is we believe that it is the initial evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That it is not just some possible blessing some get and others may not get and you still got the Spirit. We believe that the wind blows where it listeth and you hear the sound thereof. How awesome was that a Sunday, or a thir- was it Thursday night last week when the young lady was with you that got the, the, the lady that was deaf? And I don't know how many of y'all heard it, but what, it was so awesome to me as we continued moving on in the service in that moment. If I could say it this way, and I mean this with all respect and sincerity, in that moment she was so blessed with the lack of ability to hear. Because as we continued on doing what we were doing and 
I guess you could say, needed to do. She was unaware of the fact that it had gone basically silent in here. And she was continuing to put voice to her praise. But she spoke in tongues. So we believe that that is the evidence. And you don't just say a few words, utter a prayer, and and now you're in the kingdom. There should be a sign. And then, we, we believe, I, I think I can say we, we believe that every aspect of our lives should be affected by our walk with God and the Word of God. We believe that when you get involved in a relationship with God, there should be transformation, ongoing transformation in your life. We believe that the world ought to be able to begin to notice, not just because you tell them, but because they can see. We, we believe in separation from the world. We believe in the distinction of the sexes. We believe in modesty. We believe you ought to go to church and be involved in, in, the, in church. And I don't mean the whatever. I, I'm getting so tired of feeling like you ought to qualify everything I say. <laughs> we believe that you, you shouldn't just show up at church once a week on a Sunday morning and that's all your involvement is with, with God and the people of God. We believe we ought to gather together like we are here tonight. And we believe you ought to get together on Wednesday night and Tuesday night and other places and other things for the purpose of coming together for for spiritual reasons. We're different, folks. There's a lot of places you can show up Sunday morning. Get your spiritual fix, and you are you get you get your stamp of you get your passport stamped for the week. You did it. You accomplished your spiritual obligation for the week. Here's here's what I'm not here. I'm not. I don't think I have to tell you this. Maybe some of you need to know. I'm not here tonight to 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 talk about the Pharisees, just so you can become more informed about the Pharisees. Just break it down real quick so you're not wondering where I'm going. I'm telling you about the Pharisees because I think we have a danger of being Pharisees. And based on everything I just said that makes us unique and different, those are also the same things that can be the greatest contributors to us becoming Pharisees. Because we start checking the boxes of us compared to others and we're doing it all different. We've got it all different. And so therefore we wear that as our badge of honor and we become just like them. Do well on the outside but neglect on the inside. Guess, guess what, guess what the word Pharisee means? Guess what, guess what the word Pharisee means? I found this to be very interesting. 
The word Pharisee means to be set apart, to be separate. That's what, the word, that's what the meaning of the word Pharisee is. It is to be set apart or to be separate. Here, 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 here. Here's the problem. We have, we have dealt with in the last couple of decades, I would say in the last couple of decades, we have dealt with this issue of an attack on apostolics and how we live and what we are and what we stand for, what we believe. And so some have seen the solution to that to be, we need to get rid of all of those things. We shouldn't make an issue of how we dress. We shouldn't make an issue out of those areas. Because that makes us pharisaical. No, the actions are not what make us pharisaical. Because in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17, Paul says, Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So we are. it's not that we're not supposed to be separate. The solution to the issue of the Pharisees is we shouldn't be that the solution is not that we shouldn't be separate. The solution is not that we should blend in and be just like everybody else. That's not the answer. The answer is not to let down on what we teach and preach and believe and the things that we believe are, are a variety of manifestations and that demonstrate our, our, our walk with God and our relationship with God. That's not the problem. The, the issue wasn't that the Pharisees were set apart. The issue was the attitude and the spirit that the Pharisees developed and that that became their focus. Let's get all of the I's dotted and the T's crossed and then we are going to wear that as our badge of honor because we do it all so well. And so I believe there is a danger that you and I have as apostolics. That we let those things that define us and separate us from the rest of Christianity become our badge as well and produce the same attitude and spirit in us that it produced in the Pharisees. I, I, I want to give you just, I'm going to read here for a moment, if you'll bear with me. But I, I just I want to give you a little bit of context of the Pharisees. Where did they come from? According to Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, the Pharisees were known for insisting that the law of God be observed as the scribes interpreted it and for their special commitment to keeping the laws of tithing and ritual purity. The Pharisees had their roots in the group of faithful Jews known as the Hasidim. The Hasidim arose in the 2nd century B.C. when the influence of Hellenism on the Jews was particularly strong and many Jews lived little differently than their Gentile neighbors. 
But the Hasidim insisted on strict observance of Jewish ritual laws. When the Syrian king Antiochus IV tried to do away with the Jewish religion, the Hasidim took part in the revolt of the Maccabees against him. Apparently from this movement of faithful Hasidim came both the Essenes, who later broke off from other Jews and formed their own communities, and the Pharisees, who remained an active part of Jewish life. Easton's Bible Dictionary says this, They were probably the successors of the Assyrians, a partly, a, which means pious, a party that, or, that originated in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes in the revolt against his heathenizing policy. The first mention of them is in a description by Josephus of the three sects or schools into which Jews were divided. The other two sects were the Essenes and the Sadducees, In the time of our Lord, they were the popular party, the Pharisees were. They were extremely accurate and minute in all matters pertaining to the law of Moses. Did you hear that? They were extremely accurate and minute in all matters appertaining to the law of Moses. We, our number one question when it comes to deciding an issue, resolving an issue, our number one question should be, what does the Bible say? Not what does this group do or that group do, but what does the Bible say? Not what does popular culture and popular opinion say. What does the Bible say? Again, one of the things we say is apostolics, and I know we're not perfect But to the best of our ability, we are striving to be like what the Bible says and do what the Bible says. So in essence, you could say that's what the Pharisees were trying to do. To the very letter of the law, they were trying to follow what the Scripture said. Paul, when brought before the council of Jerusalem, professed himself as a Pharisee. There was much that was sound in their creed, yet their system of religion was a form and nothing more. Theirs was a very lax morality. On the first notice of them in the New Testament, they are ranked by our Lord with the Sadducees as a generation of vipers. They were noted for their self-righteousness and their pride. They were frequently rebuked by our Lord. From the very beginning of His ministry, the Pharisees showed themselves bitter and persistent enemies of our Lord. They could not bear His doctrines and they sought by every means to destroy His influence among the people. They had a very strong outward form of religion. But it was just that, a form. Paul said to Timothy that in the last days, perilous times were going to come. Men are going to be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And, and, and he gives, a, he gives a, a, a list of things. If you can't understand Revelation and Daniel and all those other things about end time Bible prophecy... What Paul told Timothy about the end times is very easy to understand. Children would be disobedient to parents. They're, I mean, the, the whole list is just very practical things. 
And included in that list, he said that people would have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. What does it mean to have a form of godliness, but to deny the power of it? That means you show up to church, you do your thing, you may dance and shout a little bit in the middle of all of it, but when you walk out of here, it has absolutely no influence over your life. You know what? There's, there's one other thing that I identify with in my life that, is, <laughs> that reminds me a whole lot of my relationship with Him. And this actually was very plainly throughout Scripture given to us to be an example that we are supposed to understand our relationship with Him. And, and that is my role, my relationship as a husband. Because basically, like my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, trumps everything in my life. Basically, every decision, subconsciously, most a lot of times, not always consciously, but subconsciously, every decision I make is influenced by my relationship with my wife. I don't mean influenced by her telling me what to do. I mean, if I do this, how is this going to affect my relationship. If I don't do this, how is this going to affect my relationship? What a great blessing we as husbands and wives have in getting practice how we ought to be with Him. I didn't say as a husband I'm submitted to my wife. Don't go twisting what I just said. A form. And, and, and the Pharisees Here's what, to me, part of the Pharisees' struggle with Jesus was. They, they, they got all this. They pay tithes. I'll read it tonight or maybe next week if we keep going. They pay tithes. I mean, I, I mean they, they, they take, if they go out and, and, and they harvest something from their garden, I mean, down to the detail they're paying tithes, they're checking off every little thing that they're supposed to do. And feeling very good about themselves. And Jesus comes along and turns it all upside down. Because before Jesus came along, they could pat themselves on the back because of all of their outward behaviors that matched up to the law. But He comes along and starts exposing. You might got it all going on on the outside, but what's going on on the inside is not a reflection of what's on the outside. You can dress up the outside and hide what's not on the inside. Say that again. I didn't mess, I didn't mess up there. You can dress it up on the outside and hide what's not on the inside. The flip side is if you really got something on the inside, it is going to affect what's on the outside. And I'm not just talking about what you wear. It should affect the outside in the way you act, in the way you talk, 
in the way you treat people, in the way you conduct your life. If it's on the inside, it should show on the outside. And you know the only ones that ever get it per- looking perfectly on the outside? Let me, let me give you a little secret and hopefully relieve a little bit of pressure from some of you. The only ones that ever have it looking absolutely perfect on the outside are the artificial ones. You mark it down, somebody that seems to have every single area in their life all perfectly under control and everything is just right. You mark it down, folks. You're looking at a fake. Because I don't know of something that's God designed and God created that doesn't have some kind of flaw. You may go to Home Goods and buy fruit that looks perfect, but you won't go to Safeway and buy fruit that looks perfect. And all you go to Home Goods for is to make decorations. If you need something of substance, you go to Safeway and you realize, you know what, this has got a mark here and it's got a little bit of defect there. But you know something, I, I'm not too worried about that. And you take a bite into it and find out that the imperfections do not take away from what's on the inside. Yeah. I'm, this total diversion, total unexpected diversion, but... I've used, I've shown pictures before, at least in youth settings. Go home, go home. If you've never done this, I encourage you, go home and Google stars without makeup. Go home and do it, literally. That's all you got to type in. Stars without makeup. All you fellas that have been Googling and all over some female you see, I guarantee you, get a little glimpse of her without the makeup. You're like, what in the world? They, 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 they got it all right outside. And as long as that was the only thing they were being judged by, they were all good. Jesus comes along and says, hey, all you that are walking around bragging because you've never committed adultery, let's talk about what you've been thinking about. Let's talk about what you've been looking at and what you've thought about when you looked at it. He wrecked their world. And I just, I'm going to be real transparent with you right now. I, I just, and, and then I guess this is really where all this started is it just kind of hit me the other day, God, please have mercy on us that we do not become pharisaical Christians. That we get so focused on dressing right and looking right that we ignore that you can have it all good on the outside, but on the inside you've got dead men's bones. I'm, I'm going to read for the, I think they have this. I believe we have this on the computer. I hope we do. I opted to not do what I normally do and put it on slides. So for the sake of time, I'm only going to read this from the Amplified. And I don't know if I'm going to get through this whole, most of this chapter tonight or not. We'll see. Let's start with verse 
1 of chapter 23. And again, I'm, I'm going to read this in the Amplified. And, and this, this is, I mean, this is the spot. <laughs> like I said in the beginning, there are places when what the Pharisees said or did was mentioned. And, but here, here is where, you know what's interesting? Notice this, please, notice. You will not find one place that I know of off the top of my head. You will not find one place in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John where Jesus dressed down the Romans. And you want to talk about somebody that needed to be dressed down. The lifestyle and the actions and the what they were doing and how they were treating the Jews and others. You want to talk about somebody that needed to get... they. The Romans needed it. And I don't know of one place off the top of my head, I'm not saying, I'm not offering my keys to my car and paying the insurance and the gas like my dad does. I'm not, I'm not going that far right now. <laughs> off the top of my head, I don't know of one place where he ever said one, 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 one harsh word or uh, I don't know if disparaging is really the word I'm looking for, but... One negative word about the Romans. Anybody know of anything offhand? There may be one or two in there, but... Whereas basically all of chapter 23 of Matthew kind of reminds me of Job. When the Lord got to the point with Job, He said, Stand up like a man. I got something to tell you. And, and I think it's a couple of chapters. God. Automatic rifle. Nails Job. Question after question. I kind of imagine Job after the first, you know, the first couple of questions, he was like. And then he got an idea where this was going and he was just like. Where were you when I did this? Where were you with that? This really is kind of in the same category. Verse 1, Jesus said to the multitudes and to His disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat of authority. So observe and practice all they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they preach, but do not practice. Again, and, and, and I haven't read it yet, although many of you have read this passage before that I'm about to read, so you've got an idea what's coming. Notice, notice, the first place I read, he said, he said the, what did he say in that first place I read? <laughs> Except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Now here, notice, notice. He's given them a little bit of idea. What's about to come is not pretty. However, they sit in Moses' seat. They are in the place of authority, and so you need to do what they tell you. Just don't do it the way they do it. What they're tell don't discount what they're telling you because their actions don't match up. 
said it already. That's part of the problem I think a lot of people have faced the last couple of decades. Well, they're saying this and saying that, but then they're doing this. So let's just throw it all out. No! No, 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 no. Hear what I'm supposed to do. Respond to what I'm supposed to do. But let it be more than my outward actions. Let it affect my heart and my spirit. Verse 3, verse 4. They tie up heavy loads, hard to bear, and place them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not lift a finger to help bear them. They do all, listen, here it is, they do all their works to be seen of men. For they make wide their phylactery, small cases, in closing certain scripture passages, worn during prayer on the left arm and forehead, and make long their fringes, worn by all male Israelites according to the command. So the point is, whatever they do, they kind of take it a little bit to the extreme. Why? Basically just so you are impressed. So you see what they do. Not only are you impressed and see what they do, hopefully if you see what they do, you'll ignore everything they're not doing. And you won't see what is really there. You ever had an experience with somebody? I'll, put, I'll, I'll make it relatively broad, but a little more narrow. You ever had an experience with somebody in leadership? Where you'd always seen one side of them and you got in a setting and all of a sudden another side came out? Whoa. I'm not, please understand, I'm not talking about humanity and, and our weaknesses. And we all have weaknesses and we all have moments of struggle. We... We all go through stuff sometimes where we just don't have quite the patience and tolerance. I'm not talking. I'm talking about something that's more than just a momentary fall or fail. Why? Because as long as the pressure's not on, as long as everything is okay, you can put on the front. I used to think that trouble and difficulties created character in our lives. I used to think that the difficulties we go through, the trials and tests we go through, is what creates the character in us. But you know what, Kevin? I've come to the conclusion that's not the case. The trials and tests and difficulties we go through are what reveals the character. That's why I've watched people go, and I realize no two people, even if it's sort of a similar situation, I realize no two circumstances is, is exactly the same thing. Personalities affect it and, and all that. So I, I understand I'm, uh, you can't make everything the same, but I've watched people go through very similar situations. Church people go through very similar situations. Maybe the loss of a loved one. And I've watched one person go through that. And for the most part, 
it's pretty much like they never miss a beat. Yeah, there's some down days, there's some tears, and yeah, sure. But then there's others you watch, and all of a sudden they they stop coming to church or they stop worshiping, they stop and you go, What wait a minute? No, what happened was they finally faced the circumstance that revealed what was ultimately there. You know, all of y'all are sitting here just so peacefully and calm and just, some of you are so peaceful and calm, you're dozing off. And it's just the sound of my melodious, comforting voice, I know. You know what, it just, right, right now is not the moment we judge whether or not you've got problems with your anger and your temper. I mean, y'all, you ladies just look so sweet and lovely and just wonderful. You brethren just so, just so strong and reliable and just, just images of just calmness. Let somebody cut you off on the way home. Let's see what happens then. Let the server bring you out your steak, not cooked the way you asked. Let's, let's see what happens then. Let your kids tell you a flat-out, bold-faced lie. Let's see how you react then. Hopefully you weren't under the impression we were just going to talk about the Pharisees as just some kind of... Wonderful, lovely, informational topic for a couple of weeks here. I hope you will, because I have been doing this the last couple of days since the Lord directed me in this direction. I've been trying to look at me. God, is there anything about me in any way that that's me? They tie heavy loads hard to bear, place them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not lift a finger to help bear them. They do all their works to be seen of men. Sorry, I, well, maybe I should just read it again anyway. Here we go. Well, they make wide their phylacteries, small cases enclosing certain scripture passages worn during prayer on the left arm and forehead and make long their fringes worn by all male Israelites according to the command. And they take pleasure in and thus love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. They, they, want, they want the best. They want, they want the best. They don't defer, they want the best. And to be greeted with honor in the marketplaces and to have people call them rabbi. Uh, just a week ago, perfect example. 
man, I feel bad. I wore my shirt last week, and only like one or two of you now, a bunch of y'all got them on. I don't have mine. Last, last week, they were setting up. I don't even remember what the context was. They were setting up for Celebrate Recovery. And uh, I, I, I'd be honest, I didn't even really notice. But Sister Ellenberger called me Pastor David. And I answered. We kept going. And a few minutes later, her husband's got her apologizing. Because she didn't call me Pastor Wright. You know what? I deeply appreciate what he meant and what he felt by that. I am deeply honored by, he, by the fact that he has that sin. I, I got to tell you, oh boy, pet peeve, pet peeve. Men of God and women of God are no better than anyone else. But you want to talk about something that cranks me bad is when I hear people calling men of God by their first name. I still struggle. Believe what you want to believe. I still struggle with calling some, some of my peers on a first name basis because there's just a level of respect that was ingrained in me. It's taken me years. One of, one of my, I consider him to be one of my good friends. We hardly ever see each other, hardly ever talk, but I consider Brotherhood to be one of my good friends. We're, we're basically the same age. We're peers, but the last couple of years I've, I've called him Danny a couple times. Let me, tell you, let me tell you something. It's not a, again. I, it's not about the fact that men and women of God that hold some kind of a role of leadership or office are better than somebody else. That's not the point. Really, the point is what it reveals about you. That's right. That's right. So casual. I tried to tell her, and I can honestly say I didn't. It didn't bother me the least bit. That she called me Pastor David. It wouldn't bother me the least bit if all of you called me David. That's your problem. I understand the office that I hold should require more than that, but it's not my problem, and I'm not going to lose my soul because you call me David. I, I, please, I, I'm, I'm not trying to sound like a Pharisee. I got this area down pretty well. There's a bunch of other areas I'm working on, so... I was in a situation recently, not recently. Well, now that I said recently, I can't tell you it wasn't recently. I meant to say that from the beginning. At some point in my 46 years of life, I was in a situation where people were given a moment to speak. One guy did, I am apostle so-and-so. I'm not, please, I'm not trying to judge or label that guy, please, please. I don't know him. But, but, but look what he says. They want to be greeted with honor in the marketplaces and to have people call them rabbi. The moment, oh boy. The moment you start informing everybody what your title is, is the moment you demonstrate you may be struggling as a Pharisee. And the moment you get offended because somebody doesn't call you by your title, you're showing you must be a Pharisee. In the history of this world, actually more so in the history since the day of Pentecost, since the New Testament church, 
if anyone has ever had a right to address others and tell them that I am an apostle, there's one person that I know for sure had the right to do that, and it was Paul. If anybody had the right to walk up and say, I'm Apostle Paul, nice to meet you. Or to stand up in front of a congregation and say, I'm Apostle Paul and I've come to minister. If anybody had the right, Paul had the right. But read what Paul says in his opening remarks to the church at Rome in the first couple of verses of the book of Romans. The first, yes. Paul. He doesn't say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says, Paul. A servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Be very careful when what you are called to do becomes who you think you are. Well, I think we're about to stop here for the right night. We'll say that one again. Be very careful when what you are called to do becomes what you define yourself to be. Because the moment you decide, I'm an apostle, I guarantee you there's coming a moment where you're going to be put in a situation that you don't get apostle-like treatment. And the only way for Paul to say... I know how to abound and I know how to be abased is because Paul understood I am a servant of Jesus Christ. You don't get all caught up in being an apostle and say, you know what, I can abound and I can be abased. Because I watch those that get caught up in that, they abound real well. But they don't abase very well. But you are not to be called rabbi or teacher, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone in the church on earth father, for you have one father who is in heaven. You must not be called masters or leaders, for you have one master or leader, the Christ. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself with haughtiness and empty pride shall be humbled, brought low. And whoever humbles himself, whoever has a modest opinion of himself and behaves accordingly shall be raised to honor. I'll stop at that verse for tonight. I'm not done talking, but I'm done reading. You exalt yourself, God will abase you. You abase yourself, and God will exalt you. The Pharisees worked on the exalting, and God did some public, or Jesus did some public dressing down. I watch, you know, I watch sometimes, not, there's probably nobody here tonight that ever fits this category, but 
I watch people sometimes at district functions. I watch, I've watched through the years people who come to church and sit and never move a muscle. Never move a muscle. Go to some kind of camp, district conference, ladies conference. And my Lord, they are tearing the place up with their worship. Getting with it, going to town. They get back home on Sunday. Like, what? What? doesn't matter who's watching, doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what you're doing. You, you, what you give, how you give of yourself should remain the same. I, I, it wasn't, my flesh didn't like it. But God always knows best. And you know what, one of the one of the greatest blessings of my year, my years of ministry and the development of my ministry was those years that I traveled around. On Sunday mornings, going from congregation to congregation. I'd come here Sunday nights and Thursday nights and Sunday nights. Back then, before we split up, we'd have three, four hundred people here on a Sunday night. I'd walk into... Robin Wood on a Sunday morning with 15, 26 to 12 year olds. I don't think I did it perfectly. I'm quite sure I didn't. But my mindset was I am going to give the same level of myself to this group of children as I'm going to give on Sunday night when it's rocking and going and blowing. I, some of some of the young people, some of you are young adults now that were young people then and have been. I, I, I've I've gone several places to preach. Thank God, some folks from Antioch came because if they hadn't have been there, there really wouldn't have been nobody there. And I I don't know some of y'all some of y'all know about this. I'm. I'm quitting. That's very relative. Some of y'all know, some of y'all not only from maybe being with me a couple times, some of you came from this or have you. One of the the most uncomfortable things I ever experienced in my life is when you sit there on the platform and they now take up an offering for the speaker. Especially when three-quarters of the people there came with you from your church. (laughs) Would not have been in church that night giving an offering for anything. And now, not only are they giving an offering, but they're giving you an offering when they came to support you. (laughs) You know what? I, 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 I hope this don't get out. I know it's streamed and all that, but I, I'll let y'all in. Some of y'all that get stuck with me sometimes doing worship and whatever, I'll just let you in on a little secret. 
most of the time I take the invitation. And I take it for a variety of reasons, but one of the reasons is I don't want to ever get myself to a place where I decide I'm too good for something. And I don't care if I end up there and three quarters or 90% of it is the people that came with me. My responsibility is not to set the terms and conditions of where I go. But I am a servant to say, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do. I know most of you will never have to face the example I just gave, but all of you can apply it to your walk with God and your walk, your, your place in the kingdom of God when God asks you to do something. What kind of parameters do you put on it? What kind of requirements are there for you to be able to say yes? Are there some demands you give God that if you'll meet these demands, then I'll do the job? I'm going to challenge you tonight. Again, I point, unless something changes, I feel like this will be my focus for a couple of Thursday nights. Sorry to tell you that. I'm challenging every one of you to join me. To spend some time with you and Jesus. Asking Him first and foremost. Search me, God. Is there anything about me? Is there any way? Here's what, and I, I, I more than likely I feel like I'll come back to this point and spend a little bit more time on it, but I'll just hit it as I close tonight. The Pharisees, the things they did were the right things to do. They were involved in the right actions. They were doing the right things. What made it wrong was the motive and the heart. And that's the challenge that you and I face. Because <laughs> we, we could come in here Sunday night and the praise team could get the right fast song. And this place could be going crazy, dancing and shouting, everybody getting their groove on. And while everybody may be doing something similar, God is looking beyond the actions and seeing the motive behind. And some, it's a pure motive of a sincere hunger and desire to offer praise and worship because He deserves it. And others, it's, i got to make everybody think that I'm good, i got to make everybody think that I've got it going on, that my walk with God... You, you can't tell by looking who's who. And be very careful when you think you have judged somebody else as to why they're doing what they're doing because the fact of the matter is you don't even know yourself. So before you go putting them in the category, yeah, I know what's going on in them, you might want to be careful. 
because you might be blinded to the fact that you yourself are doing the right thing, but ultimately it's being driven by the wrong reason. Father, we are in the midst of a promise, many other promises, but in particular a specific promise that you gave us a few months ago with regards to this year. And I stand here tonight, God, still trusting and believing that that promise is going to come to pass. But I'm also praying that before we ever get to the fulfillment of that promise, that you would do a fresh work in our hearts and our lives. I pray tonight, God, I pray for myself. God, if there's any areas of my life, if there's any way in which I am, I am living in a pharisaical way that I have developed a pharisaical attitude that I am checking off the boxes and doing the right things, but in my heart there's stuff that doesn't belong. In my mind there's thoughts that shouldn't be there. God, I'm asking you to do your work. As David prayed, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit. God, I pray that by Your grace as a church, we will never let go of those things that we believe are to separate us and give us our distinction from this world. That we won't compromise those things. But I pray, God, at the same time, that we would not have the attitude of the Pharisees that because we have those things, it makes us superior and better than others. Let our heart be right. Let our spirit be right. In the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I hope to see you on Sunday. In Jesus' name.